Hey, Bankless Nation. It is the fifth week and last week of September. And you know what time it is, David, tell them. What it time is, is it? roll up time to time to roll up the entire week of crypto, which, like I always say, is an ambitious endeavor in this industry. Uh, an insane amount of things happen every single day. And we are going to roll up the last week of September here on this Friday Bankless Weekly Roll Up. Ready, Ryan? Yep, I'm ready. Enjoy this with your cup of coffee, guys. And David, it looks like you've had a few cups of coffee. Looking good, man. You're back in your place, right? Off the road. Yeah, in stark contrast to a very, very tired hotel room weekly roll-up, I'm back in San Diego <laughs> with my setup, uh, with my coffee in the morning, uh, multiple cups of coffee today. So yeah, it's going to be a fun weekly roll-up this week. All right, guys, we have so much to cover. I think we're going to hit the China ban. They banned uh, crypto for the 500th time, but this time maybe they mean it. We're going to get into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're also going to touch on NFTs on Twitter. Is this the new blue check mark? We got to talk about Virgil Griffith as well, guys. So this is going to be a jam-packed roll-up for you. A bunch of cool things mixed in with uh, some unfortunate things. And the the China ban actually has some silver linings, which we're about to get into into the market section. The Virgil Griffith story... No silver linings there. So you're going to hear some frustration coming out of me and Ryan later in the show. But I think that the coolest thing is Twitter, led by Jack Dorsey, who only talks about Bitcoin, is uh, did, did two things. Like you said, one was integrate NFTs on, uh, on their platform so you can get your verified NFT. And you can also tip with Bitcoin now with Twitter. So they're doing two things. One's Ethereum-focused, one's Bitcoin-focused. Uh, I wonder which one the market will like more in the future, we will see. Well, I, I can't wait to talk about that some more. So we're going to get into those items. Um, one, a, a few announcements we need to share with you. So if today you're listening to this, it is Friday, October 1st, then that means discounts have just launched for Permissionless. So Permissionless is a DeFi conference. We are putting this on with our friends at Blockworks. I think it's going to be the biggest DeFi party of 2020. Two and you guys need to be there. This is going to be in uh, Florida. Where are we headed, David? Um, West Palm Beach. West Palm, West Palm Beach. Beach. That's yeah. right. Uh-huh. Almost forgot. And so, what they're doing with the ticket rollout is they're rolling out 250 at a time. So every two weeks, 250 new tickets get issued up. They get snapped up quickly. If you are a Bankless Premium member. You can get the tickets at 30% off every two weeks. Tickets increase in price. I think it's $300 and something. But if you're a Bankless Premium, you get $95 off this week. So if you're interested in coming with us, partying in Florida, then uh, check this out in the show notes and jump on Permissionless Train. As the uh, resident conference goer here, it's no surprise that Ryan forgot where we were going. But uh, yeah, Ryan is actually going to be there too as well. well. Be there by iPad, or am <laughs> yeah. I actually attending in person? We haven't discussed this yet. I mean, we—you don't live too far away from West Palm Beach. So yeah, I can't, it's, I, it's, I'm going to be there in person, guys. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, it's, it's been a ton of fun organizing this event with uh, the Blockworks team. They uh, definitely understand that crypto conferences aren't just about the conferences, and more about how it's a cultural festival. So if you've never been to a crypto conference before, don't think of it like a boring conference. Think of it something much more closer to a, a, literally a festival of the arts, a festival of culture. There's, go, there's going to be the actual conference with, with actual like good content and talks, but then after the fact, it's going to be just a bunch of good vibes. So looking forward to that. Bankless is going to throw a party? Question Maybe. mark? I have to convince Maybe. Ryan of this. I haven't talked about it to, to him yet. But no, uh, you, you sent it to me in Discord. I was definitely <laughs> down. I haven't commented on that. But guys, we are throwing a party. All Absolutely. Right. So All be right, there. Cool. <laughs> um, also, NFT gallery. They're going to have mm-hmm. like tons of cultural things too. Mm-hmm. So make sure you check this out. One, one last thing on this. 
is uh, we're working a little bit with the the sponsor team, mm-hmm. and there's been a ton of interest from prospective right. sponsors. But we want some DeFi sponsors right. to partake in sponsorship. So if you are interested in being a DeFi sponsor, we've got a lot on the list. We want the premium. We want the cream of the crop DeFi sponsors to show their force at this conference. Then uh, ping one of us. I don't know, DM us yep. or something, and we'll get you in touch with the right people. We have. Um, we are just holding the floodgates of the dam <laughs> of centralized companies who are all, all yeah. are chomping at the bit, right? But like DeFi yeah. companies generally, a don't have the opportunity or don't like think about this as like. Uh, as a as a place to like get their branding out because like generally DeFi companies have their own community to help support their branding. But like let me tell you, if the DeFi companies don't take it, the CFI companies absolutely will. So we're holding we're holding the, the doors closed on the CFI companies. We're so making room. We're making room. So like making room come for talk. You guys. Come talk. Uh, also, this is like an offer that I think you have maybe three more days for if you're listening to this. If you become a Bankless Premium member by Sunday in the next three days. You get a Bankless t-shirt. This is the Bankless Essential t-shirt. It's the one I'm wearing mm-hmm. right now. The one David and I uh, are displayed in in many of our shows. All you have to do, I think the value on this is like $28. All you have to do is sign up for Bankless Premium. You can see the benefits. We'll include a link in the show notes, but it's a full market opportunity report every Monday. You get to hang out with the crew in the Inner Circle Discord chat podcast debriefs. You're not catching all of the podcasts unless you're a Bankless Premium. David and I do extra podcasts after the show and release that on a Bankless Premium feed. Alpha uh, Alpha Leak emails, you would have known about DYDX in advance if you got these emails. Also a 30% discount to the conference we were just talking about and an NFT badge. All of that is included in Bankless Premium. The, The newsletter is designed to pay for itself. So don't get left behind. All you need is one alpha leak and it's like a 10x return. Uh, I, I tell you, uh, we'll get to one of those alpha leaks later. But lastly, we got to talk about Zerion, David. Mm-hmm. So Zerion uh, wants us to get the word out to you. They are doubling down on NFTs, tripling down on NFTs. I think we are looking, you probably use Zerion for your, like, yeah. your DeFi user interface to do. Like For me, Zerion is like a go-to tool. I can't be without it. But right now I'm displaying on screen one of David's ETH addresses, and I'm seeing a lot of NFTs in this address, yeah, and these pl- are your NFTs, right? Please, please ignore the Fidenza rocks, which are 100% scams <laughs> that I thought that, like, uh, well, like, I thought it was going to be like Can the 80. Can you delete these yet? I, 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 I need to send them away from my portfolio. So please ignore the Fidenza rocks. They are scams. Do not buy them. Um, <laughs> I got I got rugged. Uh, but here are my flowers. Look at my show. flowers, Ryan. Wait, you, okay. just, you just scrolled right by I'm my, my I'm fantastic sorry, flower to collection. I punk, dude. Oh, no, the portfolio gets better as, as you go along, right? So, right, so we're here, looking at flowers. Here now. are my flowers. Uh, the yeah. black and white ones are the rare ones, fun fact. Um, but I really like that rose one in the middle here. Uh, and then if you keep on scrolling, uh, then uh, also ignore those. Those are bad. I need to also get rid of those. Generative Mass and Cyber Kongs, uh, the London EIP 1559 gift, my Pudgy Penguins, Ooh, which are super cute. Penguins. Super cute oh, penguins. They both look a little rare. And then, of course, finishing off is the CryptoPunk 1118. Also, you can see it right behind me. Uh, yeah, Zerion doing a really good job making an NFT portfolio interface alongside your DeFi portfolio. Sir, no, no, no turtles in this portfolio yet. What are you doing, man? You sleeping on turtles still? <laughs> Tiny turtles. <laughs> I'm absolutely sleeping on turtles. I'm, as soon as I see a Twitter, uh, turtle in my Twitter feed, I put it away. <laughs> you you mute, you I block. Mute, I'm, I mute the turtles. Instantly. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what's awesome about this too is uh, I haven't used this yet, um, but 
you can actually configure this interface to display a an NFT through mm -hmm. Zerion on your Apple Watch too. So something else to check. Another way to flex when you're mm -hmm. off your screen, when you're just out in public, it becomes like your NFT Rolex, just like that with um, the new features, NFT features that Xeron is adding. So if you're interested in checking that out, we'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, thanks to Xeron for sponsoring mm -hmm. this message. Yeah, cheers. So that All Galaxy right. egg is dope. <laughs> Fidenza rocks, man. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I love that. that the Fidenza rocks are not, are not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you are proud of them. All right, guys, we're going to get to the markets next. David, you want to start with Bitcoin markets? Bitcoin starting the week at roughly $44,000, got up to the high price of $45,000, and then it has fallen after that. Down, hit the lows of roughly $41,000 a number of times throughout the week, and then it has reclaimed $43,200 at the time of recording. Generally flat, um, down 1% on the week. Um, unexciting. It's a good day when you when Bitcoin is above forty uh, k. That's what I that, that's what I say. Yeah, every ten k, right? <laughs> yeah, every ten k, absolutely. How about ETH? How's ETH, it doing? ETH starting the week at roughly uh, what was it three thousand uh, dollars? Got smacked pretty hard. Fell all the way down to two thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars, where we did see some uh, liquidations. Reclaimed three thousand one hundred and fifty dollars twice inside of the week. And it also fell again twice inside of the week down to four twenty-eight thousand dollars where we and we are now almost trying to get our heads right above three thousand dollars at the time of recording. So some volatility this week between two thousand seven hundred and fifty and three thousand one hundred and fifty. A lot of volatility. A lot of right? volatility. Yeah. Like this is pretty mm -hmm. crazy. I we're back to the chop. Are we back to yep. the, the the crab season once again? I thought we were almost out of that at the end of the summer. And September was looking promising. Now mm -hmm. it's let me down in the second half. What's going on, David? Well, we have we have a bunch of FUD, right? So we have like this the um, the regulatory FUD that that scared a lot of people. We also had China banning crypto, which apparently the market is actually reacting to this time, which is like a, yeah a first since 2017. Uh, and then there was this whole like treasury debacle, insider trading, like in uh, insecurity in the in the legacy markets, the traditional markets got hammered this week. Uh, the the first day that uh, that legacy markets got hammered, crypto fell right in, in parallel with it. The second day, which was today, I believe today or yesterday, uh, crypto markets have instead become resilient to that. So like, I think crypto markets are done being scared. And they're now just kind of waiting for everything else in the world to solidify so they can like finally show some strength. I think, like I always think this, crypto markets want to show strength. There's just been like a bunch of FUD in the last week or so. Um, so many come from, coming from so many different directions. Uh, and so like once we, once the rest of the world can just, just deal with that, I think we can resume bullishness. That, but that's my take. Yeah, I still feel like David, we are in like a, a major bull trend, right? If this kind of level of FUD had had happened during a bear market when everyone's pessimistic, mm -hmm. I mean, crypto would have tanked and right. it would have stayed down for mm -hmm. a while. The fact that we're even kind of seeing this volatility right. and rebounding, right. it still indicates to me we're in this secular bull market. Yeah, we I are not like hitting quarter, new lows. We are getting FUD and we are not hitting new lows. Yeah. I, I do think that the fourth quarter's, uh, you know, generally it's been good for crypto, particularly mm -hmm. in bull years. So we'll see how this fourth quarter pans out, but um, it still could be good for crypto. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep you updated every Friday as we do. All right, let's talk about this. Updates on the ETH to Bitcoin ratio. What's going on here? Uh, nothing too much. I believe last week it was at 0 0.07 something something, and right now we are at 0 0.069. Uh, so flat on the week for ETH BTC. 
There's rumors of like a Bitcoin ETF in October. Mm. You know, remember mm. Raul Paul said that? And right. uh, Bitcoin has shown some resilience, some strength. I wonder right. if it's kind of feeding on that rumor. I wonder if we'll actually see something. I've been waiting for like a, a kind of a, a mea copa from um, Gensler to just be like, here's an olive branch, crypto. Right. Your <laughs> ETF. I hate you in all of these other ways, but I'm going to give you this ETF. Mm. Uh, maybe that's going to happen in October. That could shed some light or that that could um give give some life to to bitcoin but uh we'll have to see absolutely the two faces of gary gensler the nice face we haven't seen yet so maybe that one <laughs> yeah. maybe that one come does on. come on <laughs> come on gary help us out here all right DeFi pulse uh this is lower than i've seen for a while yeah. so we're at 68 billion total locked value i think it's because crypto has gotten sort of pummeled in the last quarter. You know, well, I actually think that that might be a bug on DeFi Pulse because if you look at the chart, really? that chart is definitely above $80 billion. Yes, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> so there's a little bit of a, a of a discrepancy there. Sometimes the uh, DeFiPulse.com front end does experience some bugs just because like there's so many different ways to count. So what's the, the real data. number? Is 81 billion then it looks like on the graph. We'll yeah, that well, that's, that's the higher one. So we'll go on that one as the source of truth. 81 billion locked in DeFi. When in doubt, skew bullish, folks. <laughs> Crypto's in a 10-year secular bull market. Wait, again, Ryan, you're giving you know. away all of our bankless secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at ETH locked huh. in DeFi, though. That's where hmm. I think this chart gets interesting. I'll, I'll focus on the chart. We're at 7.8 million ETH locked in Which DeFi. is an all-time so, high. This right? is an all-time high. And, well, yeah, I think that's true. Let me, I'm scroll, sure that's let, me, true. let me scan out. Yeah. No, uh, close. T- close. Close. Super close. Okay. Yeah. Count it. Tied. All-time high since April, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and really close to the all-time high ever. Uh, so that's a good sign. I think it, it's nice for ETH to become more reliant on this, this much more trustless piece of collateral rather than all of kind of the stable coins that we've seen going around the ecosystem so okay how about DeFi pulse index where are we at with DeFi tokens themselves yeah the DeFi pulse index started the week at, at roughly can you go uh, to the one week chart uh start of the week at uh, 327 dollars hit the high of the week at 348 and the low was 275 again you're seeing a lot of that volatility in in uh the DPI token ending the week at 304 dollars overall down six percent on the week all right, now we're going to take a look at this chart, which yeah. is the ratio of DPI to ETH. It's not DeFi season yet, David. No, it's what flat. Is it? uh, last week it was at 0.1. This week is at 0.1. So we are flat on the week uh, with some interweek volatility as well. But um, You sound sad about that. You sad about that? You want I've, DeFi season I've, to come back? I do want DeFi season. It's, it's, <laughs> it's always so much fun. Um, but like NFTs just don't stop being bullish. And so like all the attention keeps on going there. Yeah. We should start putting some NFT in indices on this. Like, I don't know the best one. There, we need, there we need some, um, we need some, uh, DeFi NFT infrastructure to come out. People need to start using fractional more so we can stop talking about the floor price because the floor is just such a terrible metric to actually measure totally the value agree. of these things. Um, yeah, it, dude, if, if there's a bankless listener out there who has a good idea for a consistent metric we could use to talk about the value of NFT markets over time, l- let us know. We've seen oh. some indices, but nothing that has kind of the, the mind share yeah. of, of something that we would need to, to report on this like prestigious, right. high journalist integrity <laughs> media outlet, which bankless is. 
<laughs> Wait, well, I can't tell if you're being facetious or not. <laughs> oh, no, that was 100% serious. <laughs> Let's talk about the bed index. That is our mm -hmm. favorite index in crypto composed 30% Bitcoin, 30% ETH, 30% DPI itself. What are we looking at on the week? Yeah, down 4% on the week, started the week at 136, hit the high of 143, hit also a low of 115, ended the week at roughly $134. There you go. You know, David, I think it's time we uh, check in on our friend EIP-1559. I mean, it's been great close guy. to two months now. Great yeah, guy. Great, great guy, doing great things, just <laughs> like busy burning. You know, every day ETH is burnt is a day that I am bullish, sir. Uh, but let's look below the surface. That's mm. the title of this article itself. And what does EIP-1559 look like below the surface? Has it accomplished its goals? Yeah, so the author, who is named T, does a fantastic write-up, uh, just kind of trying to parse apart the data of EIP-1559. And the cool thing about EIP-1559 is that, like, the data that comes out for it is, like, not known how significant that data is, what it really means. EIP-1559 is emergent, as in the properties and behaviors and data that arrive out of EIP-1559. There is no canonical, like... Uh, definition of what these things mean. Uh, and so this was actually one of the best- there's no history. There's no, there's never no, been done. There's no history. Like not only has it never been done in crypto, but like blockchains and EIP, like everything is new. Everything is new. Uh, and so there's a lot of data here and T gives his uh, interpretation and, and analysis, but he definitely qualifies it saying like, hey, this is just my take. And like, it's we're going to need to have more data to see what these things mean. Uh, there's a, a ton of fantastic graphs and and some uh, analysis which with each one. So if you want to just learn more about how EIP-1559 is impacting Ethereum and Ether, uh, definitely check this out. It's a great homework assignment for people who are trying to dive deeper to the code of Ethereum and the, the, the ETH markets. Uh, and um, they're just so what, overall what, some great what, analyses. What, what is this take, take here, David? Like, what's the uh, mm -hmm. the summary of it? Is EIP-1559 working as designed or no? Yeah, it's absolutely working as designed. What he was trying to uh, indicate is like, well, okay, it's working as de as designed, but like, how does that actually change things, right? Like, we ah. know we know EIP one five five nine. It like it makes it easier to transact. Uh, it burns ETH. But what does that actually do? Like, so like, what does it do to mm -hmm. daily miner cell pressure, for Ex example? Is one exactly. graph in here, right? And like, how does it actually impact the ETH price at all? Right. And his his take, if I remember correctly, is like in the short term, it actually doesn't impact the ETH price at all because the ether that's being burnt is like the literally the most elastic portion of the ETH supply. It's the most flexible that actually doesn't impact the price. But what it does do in the future is that it it'll prevent um, price drops in the future. Right. So really, it's like and this is actually set a floor. A it's higher it's floor. Help, helping set a floor, right? And so in the in the future, especially in the long term future, this is like, and this is actually what I said in my original EIP one five five nine article is that it's paying like EIP one five five nine when it burns ETH, it's like Ethereum putting security in a rainy rainy day fund, right? It's yeah. like when it when there does come a time of high stress environments, that reduction in cell pressure to be, uh, because we've been burning it for the past one, two, five, ten years, there's just simply less ETH available to sell. And so uh, one of one of his takeaways, which again is up for interpretation, is that during future like um, volatility events, the downside should be dampened as a function of how much total ETH was burned. 
Yeah, th- that's why I say full circle. It goes back every day that ETH is burned is a day that I am bullish. And that's long-term bullish. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the short run, but long-term, this is a secular trend. I mean, we passed a billion dollars worth of ETH burnt, right? Over 300,000 ETH. Uh, today, we actually why? passed 400,000. 400,000 today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so like th- this, um, this pressure is just going to keep compounding on Ethereum, then you get right. the merge, everything bankless listers knows. We don't have to belabor that point, but bullish. I'm glad someone has done uh, some deep diving on EIP-1559. David, let's also talk about DYDX. That was a story with some numbers in the market section. We love to talk about numbers. This is Antonio. Antonio is a founder of DYDX. He's going to actually be coming on the podcast on Simulation on Tuesday, Tuesday yeah. right? So he says, five years I left Coinbase. I remember when he tweeted that he left Coinbase. He eventually founded DYDX. Today, DYDX is doing more trade volume than Coinbase. God, like, wow. hell what, yeah. Just a, what is a moment of reflection? Five years it takes, that's what it takes five years for a DeFi yeah. protocol to get built and then do more volume than the company that originally hired the guy? Like, wow, that's crazy. Congratulations, Antonio. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's huge, Antonio. So, like, uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. And um, this is the market share. This is a, a graph of the market share of DYDX. They're up to twenty seven percent market share of, of decentralized Dex volume. exchanges. Yeah, right. Yeah, Dex, Dex volume. volume. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, this includes some of the you know, sillier Dexes like PancakeSwap and that sort right. of thing too. So, actually even higher than that, probably, right. in terms of real DEX volume. Totally, um, totally. And like the, the other cool thing is like this is the second decentralized exchange app to pass Coinbase in volume, Uniswap being the first. Uh, I'm pretty sure Coinbase actually, I mean, over time has done more volume and like sustains itself for like sure. as the leader over time. Yeah. But like, it, hey, like breaking it over a 24-hour period or even a seven-day period, which Uniswap has done, is just the first step. Yeah, well, DYDX is doing a lot of things right, right? So like uh, Perpetuals is a fantastic product. Everybody loves that. Um, they ro- they were one of the first to roll out on Layer 2. Yep. So under the hood, this is all um, ZK roll-up technology, right? Uh, and also, I think what's given them steroids, some extra juice, is um, kind of their token rollout, the token launch, which Absolutely. they're using for liquidity mining. But you have an alternate theory as well mm-hmm. as to why it's gained so much traction recently. Tell us about that, David. Uh, I think these theories are definitely paired. Like everyone likes tokens, and when tokens exist, they they attract a lot of attention towards the app. But also at the same time, we have China banning crypto, and apparently it's real this time. And the reason why we know it's real is because we can see. Chinese actors actually making decisions to exchanges, exchanges, down. like outflows. You can actually see this in the blockchain, right? Which is like the ultimate source of truth. And that is the clear differentiator between this China ban and the infinity other China bans that we've seen. Uh, and so there's speculation that uh, all of this uh, demand out of uh, all these Chinese exchanges to trade and speculate and do exchange things has gone from these Chinese exchanges to DYDX, to a trustless DeFi exchange, which operates on a, a similar um, performance level because of the layer two as the exchanges that they are fleeing from. And so I think the big takeaway here is that when a nation state like China comes and bans crypto, where do they go? They don't go to another alternative, like more Western centralized exchange. They go to DeFi, right? Because they just got, quote unquote, censored. And so they're not going to go onto another censorable platform. They're going to go onto a DeFi platform. And so there's an article here out of uh, 
Cointelegraph that says the DYDX token gains 80% in a week. What's driving the DEX token rally? And their, their subline is traders raised their bids for the decentralized exchange token, believing as it would benefit from China's decision to classify all crypto transactions as illegal. And so there's speculation that people are moving on to DYDX in order to escape China, which just makes sense. Like, go on to the censorship resistant platform after you get censored by your nation state. That's what they're for. Well, yeah, there's there's sort of a crypto narrative for you. It's like China ban equals bullish for DeFi. Bullish right? banning. That, that could be what's happening. Uh, love that, man. Mm. Love that. I, I think that could be what's happening. Um, mm. David, let, let's also explore another trend that's happening. And this is uh, the trend to total locked value in the multi-chain, as people say. So this is interesting. This is a plot of market cap of Ethereum and uh, a num number of other chains. And obviously we've seen sort of a uh, alternate layer two kind of uh, resurgence with, uh, you know, I guess Binance earlier in the year and then Solana and um, Av uh, Avalanche more recently um, starting to uh, really increase in market cap. And this is interesting when you look at a market share perspective, but I think it's actually more interesting to look at from a uh, total locked value perspective, right? Mm. So um, Ethereum dominance has dropped from 84% of total locked value to 77%. So it's down, you know, I guess, um, 7%. Uh, 7%, right? And then Binance has gone down a little bit. Solana has gone up from about 1% to, to 5%. Terra has gone up a little bit. Avalanche has gone from basically nothing to 2% Phantom as well. I, I want to get your take on like, what do you make of this? Is total locked value, is it moving into these other ecosystems? And is that um, to the detriment of Ethereum? What does that mean for the space? Uh, is that bullish alternative layer ones? What do you think? Right. Yeah, so the the take here, and I've been we've been saying this for for forever now. Is like during bull markets, Ethereum's capacity gets uh, consumed, and there's overflowing demand that Ethereum cannot satisfy because it has not done like layer one sharding, and the the L2 ecosystem is about as nascent as the alternative L1 ecosystem. So. Uh, when there's overflow for Ethereum main chain demand, when gas fees like you know exceed a hundred dollars a transfer, people need to go elsewhere. So some go to layer twos, some go to other L1s. And so what we're seeing here is that like the crypto industry has done a fantastic job bringing new people in, and they a lot of new people don't want to or simply can't transact on the Ethereum L1, so they go elsewhere. The interesting story here to me is the lack of consensus as to where else to go. Right, so. Um, Binance Smart Chain was like the first uh, app, the first like other alternative L1 to like absorb some of Ethereum's overflow. But we've seen that actually go down this week while Solana, Terra, Avalanche, and Phantom have all gone up. There doesn't seem to be a clear consensus as to like, oh, Ethereum is full. Here's where we go next. Everyone's just going everywhere, right? And Anti-Prosynthesis, one of like, he's probably the only person that will actually accept the, the ETH Maxi label <laughs> willingly, um, <laughs> has tweeted out this, this one tweet, which I really, really like, is like, you know, what, if you ask, like, what, what, uh, what alternative L1 is going to kill Ethereum, you'll get 10,000 different answers. It's because, like, there actually isn't, like, a, like a viable, like, the next uh, second place to Ethereum, right? There's just, like, five third places. And that's why you don't see any of the overflow to Ethereum going into one specific blockchain. They're all kind of getting spread out. 
I remember um, when Rao Paul came on the podcast and he, he mentioned briefly about like Ethereum dominance going down from, from its highs, right? In terms mm-hmm. of total locked value. And he's like, yeah, it'll probably like decrease from 85% to like 75%, maybe 70%, but that's still a lot. Right. And that Especially kind of when everything is 10xing, right? Yeah, it's basically sort of a you know a prediction of power law winners in this space, which um, you know I tend to kind of agree with. But I have another take on this too, which is like I think actually, David, total locked value can be a flawed metric in in some ways. And made this point in an article that um, I wrote in uh, you know 2020 on Bankless, talking about trustless economic bandwidth mm-hmm. versus like economic bandwidth that is more trusted. And what I meant by that is like, um, it is more valuable from a bankless and decentralized uh, decentralization perspective, right? To have um, capital on chain, which I call economic bandwidth, so value on chain that doesn't have any outside trust dependencies, right? So- Which is the whole point of this whole whole thing. Right? So like, if you're looking at USDC versus DAI, right? DAI, is better, it's more trustless because it has less trust guarantees and it has less USDC inside of it. It's backed by other things like ETH, for example. And if you look at another asset on chain like Rye, which is fully backed by ETH, that is you know less better, trusted right, still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you look at ETH in and of itself, right, that is the most trustless asset uh, on Ethereum, right? And so what we miss when we look at just pure uh, you know, tr- uh, total locked value, total value locked, is we missed whether this is like actual trustless value or whether it's just some kind of a you know a stable coin. We also missed the settlement guarantees of the chain, right? right. So like, yep. if we wanted to look at this and put another, I guess, column here, we could look at the Coinbase side chain, right? right. What, what's yep. Coinbase? It's a ledger. It's a side chain. Right. It has one validator, and that is like the Coinbase database organization, yeah. AWS servers, yeah. <laughs> but it has like shareholders, right? It has DAO participants. Anyone who owns coin shares, I guess has governance vote over it, right? So why not include them from a total locked value percent? Well, right. you don't because we don't call that DeFi, right. but there is this scale, right? right? Ethereum is the most decentralized, um, you know, DeFi platform. Coinbase is not decentralized at all. And some of these chains are like, somewhat right. in the middle and i think a lot of this looks starts to look a bit more like um like like a phantom for example or a terra for example or even a polygon and sidechain uh example looks a bit more like fintech and a right. bit less like permissionless trustless defi that's why i think total locked value can be misleading were we talking about trusted total locked value or are we talking about purely trustless right. total locked value the the trustless is the stuff that I care about and the, the stuff that is, I think, the most sustainable and um, you know fits the protocol th- sync thesis of being like the most permanent and foundational for this whole operation. That, did I explain that? No, Does that make sense? A hundred percent, 100%. And if listeners want to dive more into this, uh, I highly recommend reading um, the article from Nick Carter called It's the Settlement Assurances, Stupid. Uh, and then, or if you want to consume something out of Bankless, there is um, uh, a, a talk I gave at Ethereal called um, Settlement Assurances and the Protocol Sync Thesis. And it describes this spectrum of just like not all, when, it, when you make a transaction on a blockchain, 
not all, it doesn't necessarily they're not all created equal right not all transactions are equally as trustless or as equally have as strong settlement assurances right so like when you send a litecoin transaction uh litecoin blocks happen every 2.5 minutes does that mean when that block finalizes on litecoin that you have as the same amount of settlement assurances as when you do when you make a transaction on bitcoin no absolutely not those are different levels of settlement assurances therefore different levels of trustlessness and each one of these blockchains have diff are on on that same sort of spectrum, how strong are the assurances that you have when you make a transaction that, that that transaction actually settles? And the answer to this question needs to go into the architecture of the actual blockchain itself, but also the asset that you are also transferring, right? And so if you send USDC- totally. Both of those things. It's both of those things. If, you send, if I send Ryan USDC on Ethereum, well, actually, did it really settle or not is actually not really related to the architecture of, of Ethereum or any other blockchain that's on because you're actually trusting Circle to actually be this final arbiter of final settlement, right? And so these are very nuanced subjects. And this is, uh, if you do not, if you have, this is a new concept for you, settlement assurances. Um, I highly, highly encourage you to go go read uh, It's the Settlement Insurances Stupid by Nick Carter, uh, and then also uh, the Settlement Insurances and the Protocol Sync Thesis video, which is on the ETH Ethereal uh, YouTube. And then there's also some things. I will put well, them in the show notes what? as well. Yeah, that's it. We'll just do you guys a favor and put some of this stuff in the show notes, but it, it does require... The, the last thing I'll say on this uh, it, is this, David, is um, I don't think this is a zero-sum game either, mm. right? Like... Mm -hmm more value more eyeballs more entrance into right. whether it's a more like centralized uh side chain or some alternative layer one it's all good for right. the space it's all good for ethereum i think it's all good for for bitcoin right people often think that like this is some, some sort of a tribal game where there's going to be big losers right. and big winners but like even like look man ethereum is good for bitcoin like maximum bitcoin maximalists don't know it but it is. It's been incredible. You think Bitcoin would be above 40K if not for Ethereum? Right. Hell no. Absolutely. Absolutely no, no chance. Right. And it works the other way too. Uh -huh. I mean, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum wouldn't even have been possible about Bitcoin. So none of this, guys, is a zero sum game either. This is all going to be good. And we think the most decentralized protocols eventually will sink to the bottom, win the most market share, and be the most dominant. And that's a good thing if that happens. Well, it, it actually even goes even further than that, right? So like when you have a maximally decentralized protocol, you can build centralized stuff on top of that. Totally. You can compromise on decentralization later, right? And so another article that, that uh, and also a bankless <laughs> podcast, I think number five, uh, it's called um, the two faces of Ethereum or the DeFi risk spectrum or the DeFi trust spectrum. The cool thing about maximizing decentralization is it allows you to compromise on decentralization later, right? But you have to get decentralization first. And so if you want to build a centralized permission sidechain on Ethereum, like you can do that, right? Like you have that option available. But you to can't you. do the opposite. You, you can't you, yeah, you can't exactly you can't put the you cart can't build the horse. Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, you can't build Ethereum on the sidechain. Right. Absolutely, guys. Well, we got excited about that Porsche. We got to yeah. keep moving on. Um, <laughs> I wonder why our roll-ups last so long. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Hopefully, you guys enjoy them. We definitely enjoy doing them. So, um, all right. Well, th this is what's a graph that, graphic that caught my eye. This is from Coinmetrics. Their newsletter is fantastic, by the way. It comes out weekly. But this is a chart of the uh, Uniswap 3 trading pairs. Mm. And you can see the various assets that are trading with. You see um, Tether, you see USDC, you see DAI, but this big pink cloud that you're seeing, that's all ETH, right? Trustless and I, economic bandwidth. 
trustless economic bandwidth on Ethereum. And um, I, I think the position, what this graph is really showing us is on Ethereum, and I think in general across DeFi, ETH is positioning itself and becoming positioned by default to be the reserve asset of DeFi, right? This is back to that narrative. We talked about reserve asset of NFTs, talk about reserve asset of the metaverse even, which is kind of a newer thing. But back to the reserve asset of DeFi, it's bearing out on the graphics. That's what Uniswap is using as its primary trading pair. And that's a great thing for decentralization. Any any other follow-ups on that, David? No, I think this actually fits in right into the conversation we were just having, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last thing for you on the market side of things, pretty big milestone for Polygon. Again, uh, this is their um, sidechain solution, the proof of stake type solution, but they just eclipsed Ethereum layer one in daily active addresses for the very first time. Okay, so this so, this is a great illustration of why it's actually valuable to compromise on decentralization because you can scale better that way. Centralization actually scales really, really far because you've actually compromised on decentralization. But because Matic, because Polygon is built on Ethereum, they get to give all of their users the ability to exit into the more trustless, into the more decentralized version of the universe, right? So you can get more scale by by reducing decentralization, but once you hook into Ethereum, you also get the benefits of Ethereum. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is not a new idea either. We just right. call them side chains and this sort of thing now, but like, where did you guys start your crypto journey? I bet it was on an exchange, a right. centralized exchange, yep. right? Which is a side chain, which then you then exited to continue the DeFi world same thing is happening here. Um, but anyway, I think a lot of users will start their journeys on obviously exchanges, on side chains, and on layer twos. And um, that's where we're going to see the user growth. We'll probably see the capital growth on mainnet, but the user growth will happen on these layer twos and side chains. 100%. Um, all right, David, uh, last thing. Total locked value in Tracer just exceeded $20 million. So it's super cool. And I know you did a Meet the Nation with them. When's that coming out? That's coming out Monday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it uh, walks us through the history of Tracer DAO. They have one of the most interesting Genesis stories I've ever heard, uh, and as well as where the team actually got the expertise, where they got the idea, how what their roadmap is, and where they are going. So if you want to learn more about one of the most promising young DAOs that I've ever seen, check out Tracer DAO. Yeah. Uh, on the Meet the Nation, on the Bankless YouTube. Building on Arbitrum, Perpetuals Protocol. You've heard us talk about it in previous rollups as well. All right, guys, we are going to be back with the releases for the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. 
It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The era of proof of stake is upon us. Proof of stake systems like Ethereum, Terra, and Solana allow the industry to move away from the hot, loud, and wasteful proof of work systems and return back to a cottage industry of individual stakers and individual validators. And that is what we need to make this industry stay decentralized. Individuals must play their part in crypto network validation. And that is what Lido is here to do. Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof of stake systems and claim your share of the network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution for both. Simply go to Lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake, and deposit them to the Lido Validating Network. Lido is working to make sure proof of stake stays as decentralized as possible, and is committed to decentralizing its own validating network to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol, and get liquidity on your stake, go to Lido.fi to get started. All right, guys, we are back with the hot releases of the week. Uh, the first is this, David. Connext is launching an NXTP protocol, they say, to improve liquidity. Connects, of course, is uh, dealing with the kind of the Ethereum multi-chain space. So the ability to transition and move seamlessly assets from, say, an Arbitrum to an Optimism back to mainnet without waiting for uh, waiting for anything. It's kind of an interoperability protocol. What are they doing here? Yeah, uh, if you guys uh, remember Ryan and I talking about Hop Protocol, it's very, very similar. Just hopping assets between uh, layer twos. Um, Connects has actually been in the Ethereum space for as, as long as I can remember, working on payment channels, uh, which we all know is a very like foundational, fundamental piece of technology, but it's kind of been a solution looking for a problem. Uh, because we we tried we all we used to think oh we'll scale Ethereum with payment channels and then we forgot that like well you don't have generalizability on payment channels that's really really hard and so like we have this like awesome piece of technology led by Arjun Bhutani and a bunch of other uh, people working on on payment channels but now with this layer two ecosystem absolutely exploding, we actually now have the problem that we have the technology to solve for. Uh, and so uh, Connects has been like reappropriating their already existing payment channel tech to span payment channels between all the different layer twos. Um, I think two weeks ago, we uh, shouted them out because they recently passed $500 million in volume over their NXTP protocol. Um, and, but that was before they uh, like announced the main net, which is what they are announcing right here. Uh, so they have the NXTP protocol main net, uh, which uh, is going to help you live a life on layer two by bridging all the layer two so you never actually have to touch the Ethereum L1. Uh, they, they had a blog post forever ago announcing what they were building, and they had a, a fantastic meme called the L1 is lava, as in like you never actually have to touch the <laughs> Don't L1. Don't touch it. Don't touch it, yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> This, this is what it means to to be a citizen, I think, in the whole global nexus of Ethereum, which is you only if you only only if you want to, do you have to actually go to the L1? These bridges are super important, really essential infrastructure for for the next wave here. Um, speaking of infrastructure, Andre, the founder of Wiren and YFI, 
of course, a famous DeFi builder in the space. He is launching an NFT marketplace or has launched an NFT mar marketplace. But the, the um, title of this article, this is a Coinbase article, says, uh, Andre's new NFT marketplace is a vampire attack suicide pact. Wow. Well, like, what is that? That's, that sounds like some hyperbole. He's going up against OpenSea, I guess. That's mm -hmm. the vampire part of this. Right. What's, uh, what's your take here and what does this mean? Well, I, I think after OpenSea had that drama with the insider trading employee who they have since let go, um, everyone has been asking, it's like, hey, wait a second, OpenSea, it's not a dApp. It's not an application. It's a company. Uh, and so now there's there's been some attention on decentralized marketplaces, peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces for NFTs. Uh, and so Andre, in his tweet that we're watching here, he's demoing what very much looks like an OpenSea-type format, um, but apparently it's a P2P version of that. Um, it's also built on Phantom, apparently, which Andre Cronier is a big fan of. Um, but he's also built other things on Phantom before that. He ultimately just ports to Ethereum because that's where all the users are. Um, and the the title of this piece, The Vampire Attack, is alluding to like, well, OpenSea doesn't have a token. And we all know what happens when like something that doesn't have a token gets forked and then a token is added before that original token exists, right? We saw this with the SushiSwap drama. That's how SushiSwap came into existence in the first place. It vampire attacked Uniswap before Uniswap had a token. And so the idea is that this new NFT marketplace is, uh, in theory, going to get a lot of adoption if it can find a way to vampire attack OpenSea. Uh, OpenSea's code is not open source and verifiable, so I think that makes it a little bit more difficult uh, to actually do that. I'm not a coder, so I don't know, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, but either way, the incentive to vampire attack OpenSea before it has a token is really, really strong. Uh, we were actually uh, recording with Devin Finzer tomorrow, Friday. Um, today's Thursday. Uh, and so I'm actually going to be ask about this, asking yeah. this question. It's like, yeah, like, wait, wait a second, uh, Devin. Like, how are you guys going to like have a moat if you don't have a token? Yeah, the, the the other important uh, piece here, of course, is like they're going to be expanding to each, each each chain, but this is all open source as well. Mm -hmm. So Andre is going to release this as an open source project. But in general, I love competition like this, David, because I think it it leads to better user experience, better products, cheaper products for the end customer. So vampire attacks, bring them on. It's great. It just ups our game. Um, let's talk about this, David. Uh, Coinbase just released a direct deposit feature. So this allows users to get paychecks in crypto. It's not what you've always wanted. If you're like working in a corporation, right? Getting a paycheck in crypto in USDC, or maybe some slice of that in Bitcoin or ETH, maybe the bed index someday, rather than getting it into your Wells Fargo account. How much more convenient is that? Looks like Coinbase is making a play there and it's fulfilling sort of uh, um, some speculation that we've had in the very early days of Bankless that all of these exchanges would slowly transform into banks. We call them crypto banks in the early days. And this is the next check mark, right? Oh, direct deposit, just like a bank. Yep, we're doing it. What's your take? Uh, first off, much better banks. Uh, let's, let's divide a line between Coinbase. Upgraded banks. Upgraded banks, like crypto-powered, crypto-enabled banks. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about this later, but like the more and more that Coinbase becomes a bank, the more and more it threatens all the other banking institutions out there, uh, which uh, according to, I think, some of the incumbents will be argued it prevents, uh, it prevents, 
presents a systemic risk, right? Like if Coinbase is literally so successful that it sucks up all the deposits of the other banks, the other banks are literally in trouble and they are very, very integrated into the rest of the financial system. So this is probably causing a bunch of concern from all the, the boomer banks out there that don't aren't that aren't crypto powered while they watch Coinbase just like run circles around them when it comes to innovation and just consumer benefits. Look, it's not just us saying this. This is exactly what Kathy Wood told us when we had her from ARK Invest on the podcast a few weeks ago. She's like, hey, you're seeing this ugly regulation because the banks are scared. Mm -hmm. Like they're pushing on the regulators to go do something in DeFi and crypto. And maybe that's what we're seeing. Endgame type stuff, mm -hmm. I think. If I never have um, to touch Wells Fargo again, I can get all of my basic financial services out of Coinbase, which are so basic, by the way. I just need direct deposit with with they just enabled, and then just the ability to like transfer money and pay my credit cards. Like there is not very many steps left before I just have to fundamentally question why I keep my Wells Fargo account. Oh, David, we got some more shade on Wells Fargo coming to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Wait to the news section, my friend. Oh, um, <laughs> Wells Fargo, get ready. All right, USDC <laughs> as well has been enabled in AngelList. So AngelList is a very popular kind of angel investing um, platform. Uh, and now they are enabling not just fiat, but USDC. So this is another step for USDC to gain some traction in kind of the emerging fintech space, which is also awesome. Speaking of fintech and DeFi mullet type stories, we got fintech in the front and DeFi in the back. Affirm, have you ever used Affirm? They're like a fintech type product, uh, but they like split payments or no, they delay payment, right. right? Yeah. So they turn some one expensive purchase into like a monthly thing that you can pay for over time. Okay. I hate those things personally, but <laughs> I understand that, um, you know, there it's an interesting product and clearly they have some adoption. What's interesting about this story is they're kind of pivoting to DeFi, not entirely pivoting, but they're rolling out uh, debit cards that allow customers to buy and sell crypto directly from savings accounts as a product. So, you know, I think it's interesting here is they've got some traction product mm -hmm. market fit with their single killer app feature, right? And now where are they looking for the green space opportunity? Well, it's all crypto and they appeal to millennials, Gen Z, sort of that demographic. Guess who likes crypto? Right. Same demographic. Right. This yeah. is the DeFi mullet thesis playing out where fintech companies start building on top of decentralized protocols. And I'm here for it, man. I love this stuff. We're going to see more and more of this stuff uh, throughout the year and throughout the, like, the years to come. It's kind of interesting that the crypto thing about their, their new product has nothing to do with the core business. But that's yeah. also, also kind of cool, right? It's like, yeah. it, do, it doesn't even matter. It's just, they think it's valuable enough that they're doing it anyways. Uh, and the more and more we can get companies to do this, the more and more crypto gets integrated into our actual economy, our fintech economy, our existing economy, the harder and harder it is for regulators to gut that stuff out after it already totally. gets integrated. It's a heat shield for the regulatory heat, for sure, yeah. when we have more adoption like this. Um, Dave, this is interesting too. So I guess the index co-op folks are creating a polygon Mm -hmm. Indice, right? Um, it's called PDI. This sounds like it's an investment. It's an asset that you hold that invests in a whole bunch of Polygon mm -hmm. assets, yep. like Polygon apps and this sort of thing. Yeah, and I it's think it's like the uh, Polygon app layer token. So if you okay. want to not only bet on Polygon by buying Matic, you can also bet on the Polygon app layer by buying the Polygon diversified index from Index Co-op. That's really cool. I was curious where index would grow and looks like they're pressing into all of all of these interesting spaces. Um, David, last thing for the week, uh, NAMI is a layer two 
scaling effort as well. I don't know too much about NAMI, but they have just announced $8 million in funding led by Dharma Partners, and uh, they are supposedly bringing some ETH scalability to Layer 2. It's kind of an optimistic roll-up type approach, plus uh, some state channels, but I don't know much about this project. Any takes here? Yeah, I also don't know much about it. It seems to be coming out of left field for me. Um, a couple of people I've talked to have had some grumblings about being they're just a little bit unsure as to what the product actually is. I think it's going to be a wait and see for me. Yeah, absolutely. But that is uh, that is out now. Let's talk about raises, David. The big raise of the week, I think, is this social token raise with the Roll Protocol. So we've been talking about social token infrastructure. Uh, it's starting to attract more and more capital. They just raised Roll, raised $10 million. And uh, Roll, Roll's kind of like this social money experiment, would you say? It allows people with followings, communities to issue their own token in easy ways. You don't have to deal with smart contracts and you know fork code. They just make the whole thing easy. Any takes here? Um, I, my take is that actually I think social tokens and DAO tokens are actually kind of closer than what people think. Um, these things aren't very well defined. And I think we're only going to define them as they get more and more used and more and more built out. Uh, and so stay tuned. This goes back to like thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and millions eventually of tokens are coming, right? I don't, I don't know that regulators are prepared for that world either, but uh, they're coming, like it or not. No, the Last regulators thing, are waiting for them to show up at their door to ask permission. <laughs> yeah. Last thing for you guys before we get into the news is jobs. This is your weekly reminder. Get a job. Get a job. For a DAO. Go, go work for crypto. Go do your part. We've got a community manager role from uh, Aragorn. Uh, Aragorn. I'm, I'm Lord of the Rings, man. This is like Aragorn. And also a founding blockchain engineer at Highlight, a senior software programmer from Popcorn, community lead from Popcorn as well, senior front-end web developer for Tracer DAO. In addition, I don't know, there's dozens more of uh, jobs on this board. So if you are looking for a job in crypto, best way to get it is on the Bankless job board. Go check that out. We'll include a link in the show notes. And I bet you a decent number of those jobs come with tokens, and everyone likes tokens. Never know. Man. Never know. Man. All right, guys. News time. David, what are our news headlines for the week? What are we going to talk about? Yeah, coming up first, we're going to lead with the fun stuff is NFTs on Twitter. Yay! And so if you have an NFT that you think is especially cute or your crypto punk that you think is especially cool, you can now prove to the rest of Twitter that that is literally something that you do actually own instead of just right-click saving it. Um, and so that's pretty cool. Uh, Ethereum has found its way into the depths of Twitter and is doing it with NFTs. Um, we, I've been saying this a bunch of times on the Bankless program, and I'll say it again. NFTs are how Ethereum markets itself to the rest of the world. It's literally Ethereum's marketing surface area. Uh, it's the social flexing fat aspect of things, uh, and it's also the verifiable uh, aspect of things. And so, Ryan, you got a tweet here that you tweeted out saying, Twitter should roll out a blue checkmark for NFT profile picks. Just validate them against Ethereum. Every social network will be doing this. It's the most obvious feature ad ever. And that came in August uh, 29, uh, which was a month ago. And then uh, just recently, we have a developer at Twitter teasing what an NFT verified portfolio, uh, profile might actually look like. Uh, and so that involves actually syncing up your address with some of the various options that we all know and love, like MetaMask, Coinbase Wallet, Trust Wallet, Argent. Uh, and if you have an NFT in those addresses that you link, 
you can sign a transaction to verify you own a NFT. That's pretty cool. This is awesome, man. This is exactly mm. what crypto wanted. This is exactly it. All mm. we wanted was for Twitter to authenticate and verify our NFTs as profile um, pictures on on the platform, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. here they are. They're doing it. Look at that, look that little ETH logo right next to the profile picture. Yeah. So Do you think they were actually? Do you think Jackson allow that to make it into the production version? Yeah. So it's not an Ethiopia flag, right? It's the ETH logo <laughs> this time. And checkmate, I, it's, Jack. It's kind of cool that they'll differentiate on what chain you owe the, mm-hmm. own this thing, right? Because mm-hmm. like somebody could create a um, CryptoPunk clone right. on some other chain right. and it wouldn't be the same thing, right? right. Um, so yeah, this is exactly what crypto needs. I think this will add massive legitimacy for NFTs. I think this is mm-hmm. going to add value to NFTs. Probably. I also think every single social media platform is going to follow in their footsteps, right? Like Twitter is the lead here. Then next is going to be Instagram, like... Yep. Facebook, TikTok, everybody's going to follow this trend. No one cannot now that Twitter's rolling this out. They're probably already working on it, David, right? right? Like when I tweeted this out in August, uh, you know, I was just thinking about it. It was just like a shower thought, like, wouldn't that be cool? Um, They were working on it at the time, obviously. It's a very obvious feature for these social network platforms. Web. I don't know, Ryan. I think they took your tweet and they ran with it. I think it was your idea. uh, I've been tweeting Jack to like do lots of things on Ethereum and this is the only... Only he, only he listens to every single me. one. He just, <laughs> I swear to God, he just picks and chooses. And at All the right, same at the same time, I'm going to front run this. We're going to we were going to talk about this later. But I'm going to talk about it right now. Uh, you can now also tip on Twitter with Bitcoin. This is the other the yes. Bitcoin thing that they integrated as well. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to seeing the data as to what comes out. Who do, what do you think is going to be used more? I know what I think, dude. Yeah. I, I think people don't want to spend their Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. They want to flash their <laughs> NFTs. They don't want to spend their right. Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. One's going to have product market fit. The other's barely going to do anything. Yeah. Unfo- like, unfortunately, like it's great, but payments on Bitcoin. We've we've tried this before. We've tried that. We've been trying it since the inception of crypto, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> people Bitcoin don't care not- about payments. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. all right. Let's talk uh, China, David. So okay. China, sad face. Ban. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, sad face. Okay, this this is um, I guess stuff getting real in China. We've had bans before. This time, maybe it's different. We had uh, Sahil on the podcast. If you guys missed that earlier this week, go check out our State of the Nation with Sahil, where we cover this in depth. But what's the the high-level take here? What are they banning? What does this mean for us? Yeah, so what are they banning is a little bit kind of up in the air. I think um, it's more related to actual businesses. So if you hel- are helping facilitate crypto transactions, then uh, that's bad. Uh, but I th- there, there's um, a little bit of speculation that simply holding crypto and owning crypto is still okay. It's going to be one of those things where we're just going to have to find out after the fact Um Chinese regulators, they kind of get to do whatever they want, right? And so they will interpret their own laws in ways that will benefit them by their choosing. Um, But as far as being a business in China, you are shutting down, basically, is what's going, going on. And not only are businesses inside of China, but businesses that are serving Chinese customers are also uh, restricting access to their platforms to Chinese customers. So we've seen um, mining pools not allow Chinese miners. We see exchanges that are based in China with a lot of Chinese customers have extreme outflows. Uh, and this is why we know that this ban is real because we are actually seeing on-chain verifiable data and decisions being made by companies that are in China or in relating to Chinese customers actually change their policies. So it's kind of like the easiest tell ever to figure out, oh yeah, this one's actually real. 
Yeah, uh, Huobi, which is a large uh, exchange based in China, they are getting rid of if you're if you're a Chinese citizen and you're on Huobi, you have to exit, you have mm-hmm. to leave, right? They're they're blocking them all from their platform. That's going to phase out. Also, you mentioned outflows, David. There was a Coinbase chart that just showed like ETH and Bitcoin outflows from Huobi mm-hmm. um, on like over the last few months. But then on on the on the um, the news of this, mm-hmm. and it was just like this single red spike yep. down, yep. right? Exit, like exit all Chinese exchanges. Largest, largest decrease ever. Now, you know, to, to some of your thoughts earlier, as we're talking about maybe some of this is going to end up in DeFi. Like this capital has got to go somewhere. Right. And China's just squeezing the balloon. They're squeezing it outside of their borders, outside of their regulated mm. exchanges. Seems like a short-sighted move, but it's going somewhere else. Maybe it's yeah. going to DeFi. Maybe it's going to US exchanges. Maybe it's going to the Binance's of the world, but they don't want it in their jurisdiction. This is also something that I noticed this week, David, is they blocked CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, and TradingView. It's all blocked in China now. So great firewall. Of course, you can VPN around that, I guess. Right. But this is uh, now, now more censorship mm-hmm. of DeFi, maybe a direct attack on DeFi and crypto to make these, uh, these websites blocked in, in China. It's the f- first time they've been blocked ever. Hey, as we all know, you actually can't ban crypto. You can only ban your own citizens from touching crypto. Uh, and so crypto, it's still actually in China. It's just now illegal for you as a Chinese citizen to actually touch it. And there's, that's an important distinction and an important takeaway. I mean, how much can China... They've already banned video games, apparently. Uh, and so like, how much is China actually going to ban before their citizens are just fed up with it? Uh, I mean, it's China, so the answer is like a lot. But there's a tipping point somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think they're just going to, you know, this, many citizens are just going to not listen, right? They'll just, um, they'll just find other avenues and ways of doing this and move capital the way they want to. Um, all right. Those, those are the three. Well, actually, the third item that we wanted to talk about, uh, I think we should save to the end of this, right. David, because that's kind of a, a deep, sober topic. Yep. Uh, Virgil Griffith, an Ethereum developer, was um, pled guilty, just um, pled On guilty. Monday, since- yeah on Monday to some charges. Um, we'll, we'll get into that in the detail. But first, let's talk about some happier subjects. Yeah, and we'll get back that, to yeah. Virgil Griffith. Happy yeah, first, we're not for that. Okay, so um, let's talk about this on Ethereum news, this $23 million fee. Mm-hmm. So Bitfinex paid a $23 million fee accidentally, I believe, um, in a, just a kind of a routine type of transaction, what happened here? Yeah, so what happened here was they swapped out the send value with the gas fee value. Uh, and so how much they wanted to send, they actually accidentally put into how much gas they were willing to pay. Oops. Oopsies. Uh, have you ever done that? I have not done that, no. I've never um, done that either. And, and I mean, things get really complicated when you're in an organization as large as Bitfinex and you're sending that much money. It's like, they're not using MetaMask, right? They're using their own proprietary software. Yeah. Uh, and when you do that, and they were they were sending it onto Diversify, the uh, ZK, sing, or ZK um, proofs layer two, uh, and something just went wrong in the transaction. Fortunately, uh, ninety like nine percent of the time, transactions go to a a centralized mining pool, and those mining pools are known individuals, and like they don't miss when they just like get a random twenty three million dollar transaction. So that transaction actually got sent back because like hey, you can just go knock on the knock on the centralized company's email address, and hey, we accidentally mailed you guys twenty three million dollars. Can you send that back to us, please? Uh, and like everyone knows who these people are, uh, and so they sent it back. So the money ended up back in the in the right spot, but. The, the lesson here is that 
layer two transfers have growing pains with them. We still have to nail down our protocols and harden our code. Uh, these are the early days of layer twos and things um, go wrong every now and then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wonder what would happen if a validator in kind of ETH2 received yeah. this amount of money and it was like an anonymous validator. Right. That, right? At that point, um, they, you would just uh, pray, pray and pray that that person was altruistic. Yeah, here's your $23 million back. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What a block, what a reward though yeah. as a validator to suddenly have <laughs> that pop up. Um, all right, let's talk about this. Ave, we've talked about this before, but the institutionalization of DeFi that's starting to happen. Ave Arc is a platform on Ave. It's built on the same protocol, but it is open and primarily whitelisted and targeted towards large institutions. Now they are gearing up for launch. Anything to talk about here, David? Uh, nothing other than the previous Fireblocks uh, podcast episode that we did that talks about all this infrastructure that something like an institutional version of Ave needs to support their institutional clients. Um, this is a huge frontier that we are just now um, pulling the curtains back behind. Yeah, I think they metaphor. just want, they just, yeah, well, but it's fine. It works. <laughs> it works on Bankless. Uh, they, they just want some KYC, right? They have mm. to have that. And this, this institutional capital is kind of sitting dormant with low APYs, you know, outside of DeFi, and they want access to some of these yields. So this is a way to, uh, to get them that access. Also, David, there was a, a blip, a scare mm. in uh, Compound earlier this week. And uh, I noticed that some people, you know, pinged me on Discord. It's like, what? What is this? Right. What's going on with Compound? Um, I I was concerned at first that the worst was happening, which right. was maybe there's some kind of zero day bug right. in Compound itself. That'd and like bad. contracts are <laughs> getting <be> <laughs> drained, right? Because so much <laughs> of this industry is built on a comp compound yield. But what actually happened was less severe. What happened? Yeah, so the actual bug was that the comp token, which is issued at a regular rate to uh, all the people supplying or borrowing from the compound uh, application, uh, over time you get a trickle of comp to reward you for participating either on the supply or the demand side. What happened was that I believe there was an update to the comp controller, which controls the comp token like a week ago, and apparently people were allowed to claim more comp than they were actually supposed to be issued. Uh, and so this was uh, more or less like an inflation bug in the comp token. I don't think just it was the like- comp token, Just the comp right? token. None of the just the comp token. Yeah. yeah pools, pools are fine. Are deposits are fine. Like no, all funds are safe. Uh, except for the comp token had a little bit more supply get sent out into the markets than was intended. I don't know how much more supply. Apparently, it was actually a decent amount. I think it was like $80 million. Um, but other than that... Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it was... Um, exactly. I think it was $80 million. So I ran this calculation. It was 280,000 comp tokens mm. that were released, which is the equivalent of about $80 million released right. into the wild. So... Uh, not awesome. Not for awesome. Comp, but but also, I mean, if, if you tell me that like this is the bug that Compound has, I'm like, okay, thank yeah. God, Jesus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's okay. I was super relieved to hear about this and they'll, they'll get that fixed and upgraded. Um, so I guess no big deal uh, this time around. <laughs> we got to wait yeah, for those. I'm, zero I'm knocking bugs. on wood like a Knock bajillion times. <laughs> you know what's cool here too, David? Next bit of news is if you ever played Axie Infinity, before October 26, 2020, check your wallet. This mm. is Axie Infinity tweeting this out from their account. They just airdropped $60 million, 800,000 AXS tokens to their earliest gamers. Just a thank you, like just a reward. Here, OGs, you believed in us when no one did. And so here's $60 million. Mm. How freaking awesome is that? Yeah. 
That's, right? that's pretty crazy. That's really cool. I've seen uh, people report uh, they got $9,000. I heard another person report they got $16,000. I'm not sure the metrics as to how they distributed it, distributed to, it to their players, but like $60 million to early players when there wasn't nearly as many players as there are today. Uh, that's a, a nice chunk of change. You know, David, we ran a post on Axie, a tactic, a how-to on Bankless, March 2020. That would have been well before this. If you did your Bankless homework, you got some money from AXS. That's all I'm saying. Ryan, did you do your bankless homework? <laughs> <laughs> My homework is to publish the post, David. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you give out the homework, you don't actually do it. <laughs> I mean, bankless is alpha. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, hey, maybe I have some more homework to do. <laughs> <laughs> Can't take our own lessons. <laughs> Can't take our own lessons. Uh, moving on, let's talk about the amount that of ETH that is staked because it's absolutely colossal amount at this point uh, almost 8 million eth staked mm. so at current prices lido reports this that's 22 billion dollars worth of eth backing the economic security of the beacon chain which of course doesn't have state on it yet right, right. but will mm. and um it's really cool to see th this amount of value is far more efficient than proof of work if you guys listen to any of our justin drake episodes where we talk about like ultrasound money you've heard that meme for uh eth the asset wonder mm. where it comes from came from justin drake episodes on bankless where he actually describes the economic efficiency and uh the importance of having a massive amount of money backing a network like ethereum any other takes here yeah with eth and ether right two sides of the same coin you have ultrasound money on the ether side and you have ultra secure ethereum on the Ethereum side, Ooh. and it's yeah, you like that one. Um, I like that. <laughs> and uh, as it, as we get closer and closer to the merge date, the number of how the dollar value, the capital measure of how much is staked on the Beacon Chain on the future Ethereum Chain, is just uh, making it safer and safer and safer. When we do port over, that's just more and more security towards DeFi. There was the myth at one point in time, David. I remember in the doldrums of 2018. 2019 mm. that the price of ETH doesn't matter. That is that was so wrong. wrong. I have a button for so that. Wrong. I have a button. For that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It deserves another one. Please push that again, please. <laughs> That's how wrong it is. Uh, now we know, right? Now we can see as we transition to proof of stake, it's becoming self-evident that uh, the value of ETH is the economic security of the network. Super important. Look at this slope up. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, look, this is ETH deposited over time, and it's just a, a nice curve up. Mm. Yeah, um, it does not go down at all. Well, I mean, it can't. It can't go down. So there's that. But <laughs> it, can. it, can, well, it like, continues to stay. No, it can't because it can't get withdrawn. Well, I mean, we're still at 6.6% uh, um, yield right. from staking. So still not a bad yield. Uh, I yeah, mean, ETH denominated yield, 6.6%. Nice. Eventually, this has got to drop to like something like the risk-free rate. Right, which has got to be like three, four percent, something like that. So this is all playing out as expected. Um, David, let's get into NFTs really quick. Yep. Snoop is getting into NFTs. We talked about it last time, but now he's actually got something going on in the metaverse. I see mm -hmm. a Snoop car here. I see what looks like a you know virtual party. Mm -hmm. Here you go. Oh wow, look at this. Oh my gosh. 
Okay, so what we're looking at here is the sandbox game. And I think what's going on is that they've signed on Snoop Dogg as like their influencer, right, to, to get onboarding and traction. Uh, if you're, for people listening to the podcast, it looks very much like Minecraft, uh, very blocky. Um, yeah. and, and when you actually, I've actually gone and done a little bit of, of investigating as to what this thing actually is. It actually looks like a very well built out sort of like, if, for those that remember Second Life, kind of like that, you get to build your own assets. You get to build your own avatars. Each of these assets are NFTs. You can buy it with this native sand token currency. So it's very much a virtual world universe that is NFT powered. Uh, and they've gotten Snoop Dogg on their, uh, like their influencer team. Uh, so this is pretty cool. Uh, we'll see if this actually gains any traction. Traction. The only reason why I noticed it was because of Snoop Dogg. It didn't really come from any of my like internal NFT Ethereum circles. Uh, but hey, like NFTs are exploding beyond of what I can comprehend or pay attention to. So who knows? Yeah, that's what's cool. Do you see some bored apes in the in the screen clips here? Oh, I right? missed it. So I missed like them. They're integrating other NFTs. Wait, here it is. So I can run around there with my crypto. My, my CryptoPunk would actually, or CryptoPunks at large, would fit very well into this aesthetic because they're already very pixely. Yeah, import. You can import them into this world. I'm sure. But by the way, do you know what Sandbox is built on? Is it some kind of a? It's, it's a all, side chain? all Ethereum. Uh, I don't know if it's on a layer two. I can't imagine it wouldn't be, but I do know it's but on Ethereum. If it's got bored apes, it also um, reads the ethereum blockchain and like imports those nfts in which is super awesome man mm -hmm. um entire world's being built around this yep. uh, let's talk about another nft news dapper labs whom you know the the folks behind uh and uh, nba top shots and also the original crypto kitties they're expanding into the nfl so i think they're just doing the same play in the nb in the nfl as they did with the nba and um they're signing packers aaron jones as well no, sorry, that's wrong. FTX is signing Aaron Jones. <laughs> I guess all of crypto is trying to get some uh, legitimacy and credibility with the NFL market. But let's talk about this Dapper Labs thing. Seems like an obvious play for Dapper after you hit the NBA to go after the NFL um, and uh, probably a big deal for them. What do you think? I mean, we all, we all know that there is this massive world of collectibles that runs alongside sports, right? Like you can go into any sports stadium, go into the... Uh, the um, to call like the uh, where where does where do, where do you go buy things inside of sports stadiums like the buy the Merch, collectible the, like, yeah but there's a specific David and thing. I are really good at sports <sighs> once really once upon sports. a time once upon a time yeah <laughs> um, like the player shop I don't know you can go in and like you can buy signed baseball bats signed uh, baseballs and now we can make more virtual representations of like whatever I don't know however they want to do this but like virtual collectibles uh, and again like I don't think people are going to go and be like. Why would I buy this like digital version nope, of like no nope, they're, they're just going to buy it they're just going to buy it My favorite right? athlete did this yeah. right like I want this memorabilia yep. it's digital now that's mm -hmm. even better because now I can display it on my phone it doesn't have to yep. take up space in my mm -hmm. house Exactly so mm -hmm. onboarding the world again I, again I think like I think of Dapper more as sort of a, a side chain right and uh, I think all of this will will flow into the rest of the crypto economy it's all pie expanding good stuff Team store it's called a team store. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> Listeners needed to know that. Listeners are probably like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> Don't you do any sports. Uh, all right, Bitcoin stuff. Bitcoin's Lightning Network just reached all-time highs, which is super cool to see. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge supporter of Lightning, David. Mm -hmm. Like, It is um, a trustless way at lower cost of transaction to send Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm pleased to see some adoption here. Yep. And they're getting up to... 3K, they broke 3K. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh 3k bitcoin that is so that's yeah. the equivalent of about 
120 or so million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great to see Lightning catch on. Part of this might be El Salvador. Part of this might be, um, you know, maybe the, the Twitter uh, tr- traction on tipping. Maybe that's right. too early. I don't know. But it's like other things like that. Um, I will say, if you go to DeFi Pulse right now, Lightning is number 41 on the DeFi. Like it's not an apples to apples comparison, right? But a three K is more Bitcoin than I have, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll be monitoring this and see how it goes. And I think this is a, a good sign. This is um, a bankless money system as well. It's just always the question, David, do people really want to spend their Bitcoin? I don't know. And um, have you ever used lightning? It's, it's pretty clunky. No. And mo- channels, most, pe- most people haven't. And most people think that they have, except they've actually just used a custodial service that runs a Lightning node for them. Exactly yeah. right. And I think there's a reason the Ethereum community abandoned state channels. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and or, it's easy uh, to like hop across yeah. protocols. But mm-hmm. like payment channels, state channels never really took off right. on Ethereum. And um, uh, I Until think- this whole L2 thing. But also, also like state channels built on... Um, on a, an EVM is fundamentally different than state channels built on a UTXO model. Yep, absolutely. But anyway, good news there. Uh, David, we should talk about the visa regulation, or sorry, not visa regulation, but <laughs> visas actually just released a white paper. They're developing an interoperability concept so that central bank digital currencies can talk to cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. uh, and um, I guess exchange trade with one another. So this is like a- And, and other central bank digital currencies too, right? It's like a okay, general so it's a whole generalized interoperability hub. network, yep. right? Yep. Um, okay, so I, I didn't read this entire white paper, um, but cool to see Visa expanding the space. Any other takeaways for us here? Yeah, my, my takeaway is they're the- uh, infrastructure for CBDCs is getting built out faster than the CBDCs actually are. Like the United States has not except started in China, except in, except in China. China's crushing it, right? Tr- crushing it, right? Like they well, don't even need infrastructure. They just need, they just need you know the actual CBDC, which is getting yeah. rolled out. Uh, so Visa is is like, hey, we have this interoperability like mechanism to bridge all the CBDCs and crypto, and then like the actual like Federal Reserve of the United States is like CBDCs. Do we really need that? I mean, the answer is yes, but like they don't even know it yet. Um, but yeah, the private market is like ahead of the public markets by orders of magnitude. So I think I think Visa is just like taking a gamble that at some point in time the U.S. regulators will get their head out of their blanks and figure out that they do need a CBDC, and then Visa's yeah, like, "Hey, waiting. we're waiting. We were we've been waiting for you." Yeah, absolutely. Visa is absolutely getting ahead. They've seen the light with crypto, mm. uh, even though the U.S. government has not. Let's talk about some more U.S. government stuff. This will tee us up for our next conversation, David. But mm. One Inch, which is a DEX aggregator, did you know that they just blocked U.S. traders for the first time? Yeah. So it's a geo block. If you go to One Inch from the U.S., you will be kicked off the site. You will be geo blocked out of it. Uh, I know some folks use VPNs, but um, step. And I think they're doing this because they're planning to create a U.S. only product. Mm. It's like bifurcate, but like this is back to the story of like okay, so. A one inch is an aggregator and user interfaces can be blocked. The underlying smart contracts that power one inch and that power all of the assets and decentralized exchanges behind them, those are things that cannot be blocked, right? So you can still have access to those because it's DeFi, because it's on Ethereum. But aggregators 
have a role and can definitely um, block individuals from using their platform. And I hate going to these sites, David, and being present in the US. And mm -hmm. just because I'm a US citizen, I can't freaking use it. Right. Like what's up with that, right? right? Missed a DYDX airdrop because of that. Tons of US citizens did, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's no other country, by the way. It's not even like North Korea and uh, oh, Iraq, China, like China. <laughs> China, but like, uh, it's so strange right. to be blocked out of right. this emerging financial system as a, as a U.S. citizen, as a citizen of like a free country. And I don't understand. What's your take? Yeah. Uh, so DEX aggregators, they are actually on the more centralized side of the spectrum. They're not completely on chain. I do believe there is some like web two infrastructure that is a component of aggregating all the DEXs. Um, For sure. Yeah, the, the order routing is a smart contract on chain, but I think the API pings and like getting in the information that is all done in a centralized fashion. So right. like in theory, like the DEX aggregators are a, a like a, ha, do have a centralized front end that can be blocked and that will actually it's mess up point. the choke point, right? That will actually mess up the product, unlike Uniswap, unlike Balancer, unlike yep. the actual true DEXs out there. Um, and so like, and they are, and I think one of the reasons why we can definitely say that that's true is because they, well, they're making a U.S. version of their front end, right? What they actually like put on the U.S. version versus the international version, how they differentiate those things, who knows? Also, at least they could say they tried, right? Yeah, I think right. that's what, what some yep. of these companies are trying to do totally. is uh, we're trying to comply. Um, speaking of trying to comply, so the CFTC just imposed a penalty. This is the Commodities and Future Exchange uh, regulator in the U.S. of 1.25 million against Kraken for offering illegal off-chain digital asset trading and failing to register as required. So, I think this is maybe some of the futures. The TLDR is they gave their contract? they gave their customers margin accounts and they didn't margin register accounts. with the CFTC. Which I mean, it. I guess that's actually like pretty straightforward. I, I won't, yeah, totally. I, I won't I go harp it. on like, yeah, that, that that's actually a relatively normal. That's not like anybody targeting. I crypto. see normal, relatively normal things coming out of the CFTC. Right. Yeah, David. Like right. they seem, at least to that's, date, they've been right. much more reasoned and rational about this. And mm. what's interesting about this is, uh, 1.25 million. That's just like a slap on the wrist right. for somebody like Kraken. Yep. Um, right. I mean, Kraken's probably like, yep, worth it. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Wells Fargo, man, I told you we'd get back to Wells Fargo. Here they are. Wells Fargo has been overcharging customers for like seven years in a row. This is a final settlement from a case that that goes that spanned from like 2010 to 2017 or 2018. And what they were doing, David, if if you were a small business customer and you were trying to exchange, say, some like dollars for like euros or something, they would actually give you the wrong amount, okay? So if it's like, if, if, if the exchange rate was like 1.025, they'd do like 1.052. Right. Just like switch around two digits Oof. and then pocket the rest, okay? And the whole cult, like all of the, like many, the, the culture was to do this, to cheat their customers, right? And right. this is what the, what the settlement actually says. Um, Wells Fargo created an atmosphere in which employees openly joked about and celebrated taking advantage of the bank's customers. Okay. Nice. Right? You know so what like, fixes this? <laughs> Dex aggregators. Tell me, right? Yeah. Like no person mm -hmm. in the middle of this. Like you could right. see all of the transactions on chain, on exchange. That's what we're moving toward. That is the reason for bankless. So banks can't screw people over. 
And it's nice for the DOJ. The DOJ had to go prosecute this right in court, had to catch them. How many times are the banks not caught doing these things? We'll never freaking know, right? But like the DOJ doesn't have to worry about this sort of thing if all of this is on chain and they can see the full transaction history. And the customer does too, which is important, which is why what a huge missing component that Wells Fargo doesn't have to deal with is like report their on-chain data of like how they actually got the number that they got, right? And Ryan, Ryan, if you remember, I think in like 2013 or 2014, uh, there was a big story as to how Wells Fargo um, did so well after the 08 crisis. And then in 2014, they were charged with like uh, the culture at Wells Fargo uh, promoted their like salespeople, their bankers, to open up as many accounts from their customers as possible, and so they were charged with like I remember their this. their bankers being really really aggressive with their customers, saying like, hey, you need to open up this account and this account and this account because they needed to make, make quota. Their bankers were salespeople, and so they got charged in 2014 for having a culture that promoted opening unnecessary accounts, and they were also doing it to their customers without even asking their customers permission because the pressure on these bankers to make sales quotas were so incredibly strong that it became a toxic, abusive relationship between the bankers and their employees, right? And so this is what happens when you have a financial system that is no longer innovating and growing and developing, but has just switched to an extraction-based model because there's nothing left in the web legacy financial world, so you have to extract as maximally as possible. And there's no innovation, there's only extraction left in that world. Absolutely. Rent collection, gouging. These are words that come to mind as mm-hmm. you're talking about. You know what we need to do, David, is break up with our banks. Yeah, I've heard this one That's before. That's what we need to do. Open finance, guys. This is the solution. Uh, this is why we're on the journey. Um, Senator Lummis might be on the journey as well. At least she seems to be in our court. We've been looking for advocates coming out of the Senate. Uh, she might be one. In fact, we're hoping to get her on the Banks podcast mm-hmm. at some point in time. But she uh, laid out in front of the Senate some principles for U.S. digital currency, talked about the role of stablecoins, talked about America's leadership in global financial services is something that the country should be proud of, and they should extend that into cryptocurrency, lean into it rather than trying to uh, try to stop it and trying to create barriers and blockers every time someone wants to do something with cryptocurrency. That is a welcome message, David. Any other takeaways from uh, her notes here? Nope, and uh, I think we should keep on going. Absolutely. Other okay. than good job and thank you. Yep. Well, let's get to this. Um, while we're talking about the US, Virgil Griffith, David, do you want to mm-hmm. start with this sure. story? Because people might not be familiar with this story in the context. Uh, give us that. Yeah, Virgil Griffith, he is an Ethereum developer that was actually before my time. I never had the honor of meeting this guy. For um, those that know the uh, the hamster dance or the uh, skunk dance or the raccoon dance that like a, a lot of these core Ethereum uh, people did, I can't remember, at, at DevCon or something. Uh, there's a funny little dance out there. Uh, there are Vitalik's out there, Color Floor, so they're all doing this funny, funny little dance. Um, and Virgil Griffiths was there too, right? Uh, and that's that's kind of where I see him in, in the space. But like, he's a very core part of some of the early days of Ethereum. Uh, very uh, just overall proponent of how blockchains and crypto economic systems that span global communities can create global peace. Uh, and he actually made the decision to go to North Korea to give a talk at a North Korean blockchain conference out there. Turns out North Korea has crypto conferences too. Um, and then when he came back, he was arrested for uh, violating sanctions and helping teach Korea how to get around sanctions. 
the criticism of that decision by the U.S. government was that he didn't teach North Korea anything that you couldn't have already found on YouTube or just Googled it, apparently. Um, but this, uh, so, like, granted, there is a little bit of naivete, like, hey, don't go to North Korea and teach about crypto I'd transactions. Say a, lot, a lot of naivete yeah. doing yeah. that. But also, at the same time, like, I, I, like, he's not doing anything inherently illegal, right? Like, uh, according to the United States, he was. But, like, he was just promoting knowledge and education about this thing that is inherently open source, right? Like, they're going to learn about it anyways. Uh, and so the, the got, he got arrested. This news story that's come out here is that he got arrested a couple of years ago. The news story came out here that he had a trial. Uh, he's been uh, hammering on the fact that he's not guilty, but his trial just started last Monday. And he opened up that trial with a guilty plea and a, re a request for uh, 6.5 years in jail, whereas the maximum sentence could be up to 20. So he requested six. Um, and uh, there's this, the story has to go from there, but um, that's the gist of it. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely sad, right? I think that um, Virgil, it, it it seemed to me had sort of a you know crypto utopian sort of vision, and I think he was going to North Korea, which is obviously one of the worst regimes on the planet, right? Very oppressive, like terrible regime, right? But I think um, Virgil was going there perhaps with with good intentions. As far as like you know, uh, talking about cryptocurrency and the freedom this could provide, and kind of the the enhanced you know, coordination it could provide, and didn't realize um, the full impact of right. his decisions, right? And um, the U.S. arrested him, I think, when he was coming home uh, to visit family on Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. coming to the U.S. And he's actually been in the same for the last two months, anyways, in the same prison that um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was in uh, for like the last two months. So it can't have been pleasant. I think there was an increasing amount of pressure on him to maybe plead guilty and not actually risk going to years, prison. Yeah. yeah, 20 years in prison. So it's an unfortunate story because I don't think that um, what he was doing was legally wrong in the in the eyes of the US government, right? I think his uh, defense would say, Hey, he was he was just teaching them things that like they could find online, and this right. was like an open conference, and this is all publicly available on YouTube. And uh, for my part, I believe that that's true. But like, even if you think it was legally wrong, I mean, not not morally wrong, right? Right. And this is a very harsh sentence for, um, I guess, the the stated crime of what Virgil may or may not have done. So, uh, kind of sad to see it, David. Um, right. From from my perspective. I don't know if there's anything more to say on it. it was, so if, for those that listened to the Before Bitcoin series we did, uh, where I re read out um, Peter Pan's four-part series about the history of the cypherpunks, this is, in my mind, a continuation of that story of people that dedicate their their lives towards cryptography and the social public systems, the public good systems that they create, and that ultimately runs and butts heads with nation states who don't like systems that are outside of their control, of which cryptography is inherently about that. Um, so Amin Soleimani, who's uh, the writer of this thread that we, uh, that we are looking at right now, starts this thread off with, his name is Virgil Griffith. Um, it was fun to see everyone this week in New York, but I'll admit I was walking around with a hole in my heart and a looming sense of dread. Virgil's trial starts this Monday, hashtag free Virgil. And then he goes through the history of both this case and also where it fits into the greater case of the, the story of the cypherpunks. Um, he, uh, he said, uh, um, 
uh, tweet number 12, he goes, all of us in crypto today are downstream of the original cypherpunks. We inherit their 50-year struggle to emancipate cryptography as a weapon to exclusively for militaries and provide it as a tool for individuals to use to protect their speech from illegitimate surveillance. Uh, and so I, f I feel like maybe if I put, I don't, again, I never met Virgil Griffith. I don't know what he's like, but if I want to put my mind, my brain inside the mind of a cypherpunk, when you promote adoption of cryptography, you ad promote adoption of public resources that can escape oppression. Uh, and so maybe Virgil's mind is like, well, I'm going to go to North Korea, which is the site of mo the most oppression in the world and hope this information leaks out. I don't know how that yeah, works. I, but like, I think from a, I think from a, a cypherpunk's perspective, right, and from somebody who's deep into, into cryptography, you're going to a terrible, oppressive uh, regime and you're kind of preaching the gospel. You're kind of preaching like um, freedom technology. It's like going to a regime like this and talking about um, the value of freedom of speech. At least I think that's what it is like in Virgil's mind, right? Um, and I just contrast this. It's very clear, I think, that the U.S. government wanted to make an example mm. out of Virgil, right? Because clearly this is not actually a national security threat in any way, shape, or form, right? right? Um, but like technically, you know, it was a crime committed. They just absolutely wanted to make an example out of this. And I, I just contrast that with like, man, the amount of people who went to jail after the, you know, 2008 shenanigans right. that went on it's like one guy maybe I, like no, virtually no, zero no, people right yeah we're just talking about the wells fargo incident you know 73 million dollars slap on the wrist right I, um sometimes the punishment far exceeds I, the quote-unquote crime committed i think this may be one of those cases so it's sort of a sad day in crypto yeah and just to tie this thread off uh, tweet number 17, I mean, goes today, the U S government treats cryptocurrency with as much superstition as it did with encryption in decades past. I really like that framing, treating crypto as superstition in that context. They are attempting to cast Virgil's presentation as a military military grade violation, but just like encryption, cryptocurrency will inevitably triumph. And for years now, when cryptocurrency is widely adopted across the globe, Virgil's presentation to North Korea, North Korea will appear trivial. It will seem as silly as prosecuting someone for sharing the, quote, military secrets of HTTPS. Absolutely. Well said. We'll leave it at that. Guys, we're going to cut to our sponsors, and then we'll be back with some takes of the week. Here they are. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi Money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. 
Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their earn program where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back. Takes of the week. Let's start with this, David. This is a. Why don't you, why don't you read this take and then I'll comment on it. <laughs> read your own tweet. I'll, I will yeah, read your I tweet. I don't want to read you. my own tweet. That's too. Uh... This guy, this guy Ryan Sean Adams. I don't know who he is. Never <laughs> met him before. Says my advice for the U.S. One, buy ETH and BTC for your treasury. Two, issue a Fed coin as an ERC twenty token. Three, become the world's most friendly DeFi jurisdiction. That's it. That's literally all you have to do to win the next chapter of the internet. Ryan, so what's, what's this guy saying? I mean, I, I, I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do think those the, the three things that the U.S. needs to do, and if it just does those three things, hell, mm. like, mm. let's take two. Pick any two of those, U.S. government and crypt, and you will be ahead of any other geographic jurisdiction on the planet. But right. um, I don't know. They're not, doing, they're not doing any of these right now, which makes me worried. Yeah. It's very simple. Some people think it's it, it's maybe more complicated than it is, but it really is this simple. Buy Bitcoin and ETH, issue a Fed coin of some sort as an ERC-20 on Ethereum, and just be really friendly right. to the talented engineers that are building DeFi in your country. Make right. it an appealing jurisdiction rather than pushing them outside, which is what they're doing right now. Ryan, you've made it seem really, really simple, but that's because you skipped a step, which is step zero, stop caring about all the incumbents and check your biases at the door. That's why they're not doing that's, it. That's, that's why it's not simple. Right? That's the tweet behind the tweet. <laughs> yeah. Man, some guy should tweet that out. <laughs> All right, David, why don't you take this one? So this is interesting. I'll, I'll read the headline here. Mm -hmm. The SEC is threatening Coinbase to protect the public, but not in the way you think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, this was a fantastic that, thread yeah. that you should absolutely go and check out yourself. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's a little bit long, but basically uh, Juice uh, o juice underscore ETH uh, talks about how uh, in, because of the, the like trying to get the recovery going after their pandemic, the reserve requirement ratios for banks have gone from 10% to 0%. And if we go, yeah, we're going to start at tweet number six here. It goes, banks are more or less offering the same interest rates as each other. Right now, this is around 0.05%. For decades, there have not been any significant products with better rates whilst maintaining the convenience of the liquidity of the savings account until now. Uh, at a 5% interest rate, which is literally a 100x improvement than any savings account at a bank, uh, is what Coinbase Earn has offered there, well, was going to offer, uh, except here's the problem. The problem is that the product is so good and it's such a no-brainer 
uh, and can very realistically cause millions of depositors to move their savings to the Coinbase Earn product. And then the, the last read that we're going to read is, which means a concentration of dollars will suddenly be siphoned off into the institution Coinbase banks with, and every other bank would be left unable to meet that 10% reserve requirement. So what they are worried about is that Coinbase's products are going to be so incredibly successful that banks will never be able to actually return to a 10% collateralization requirement, which is saying something about the power of these the uh, the product, the Coinbase Earn product that the SEC uh, told them that they were going to sue them if they've released that product. Okay, so basically what he's saying is Coinbase Earn and crypto-related products like this are so good that mm -hmm. it's going to slurp in all of the mm -hmm. money from the banking system, right. cause the banks to collapse, and public, we don't want a banking system collapse like 2008 again, right. do we? right. So we're protecting you from that. <laughs> the product was so good that it's going to collapse the economy. <laughs> it's what? Gonna, it's going to collapse this banking, this this strong foundational banking system mm. that we've propped up. Um, yeah, I you know I think that could be it. I'm it sorry, if good products collapse the economy, what the actual f are we doing? <laughs> Look, it goes back to the tweet that you were just talking about, right? Which is like. We don't want to disrupt the incumbents. Mm -hmm. right. That's why we're doing uh -huh. this. That's the tweet behind every tweet. Too big behind to fail. Every, mm -hmm. Behind every regula uh, regulatory action that we're seeing that's aggressive mm -hmm. towards crypto. Literally not allowed to have nice things because it'll break all the bad things and our entire society is built on bad things. Well, you've got a take on this, mm -hmm. right? So this is actually, uh, well, I don't know if it's your take or, mm -hmm. you know, this guy, David Hoffman.eth on Twitter, goes by the handle Trustless State, really hey, smart guy. He's got, a, he's got a cool punk. Crypto is going to nerf the SEC, is what you mm -hmm. said. And this goes back to a post you wrote earlier in the week. What did you mean by this? Yeah, so uh, Gary Gensler is coming at crypto super hard, right? Try, trying to, I think, more or less do everything he can to have more and more jurisdiction over crypto basically wants everything to be a security, right? And like, careful what's your wish for, Gary. Like, if everything becomes a security, I don't think you realize how trivial it is, trivial it is to spin up a new token, like spin up a, a new ERC-20 token, spin up a new social token, a new DAO token, a new NFT that represents some in-game asset. Like, if you do want all of those to be securities, because what's more likely? Is it more likely that as a result of your desire to regulate all of these things, you actually have to ease back what it actually means to regulate those things? Or do you want everyone who ever issues a token to come knocking on your, on your door, wait in line with their forums and say, hey, Gary Gensler, will you please give me my stamp? Like, what's going what's gonna to be more likely? I think it's going to be more likely that we're going to use this asset printing press, which is the ERC-20 or ERC-721 standard, and print a bajillion tokens. Gary's going to get real upset that they're all securities. Uh, and, and, but in order for him to legitimize what the SEC does as a regulatory body, they're just going to have to water down what it actually means to be a security, right? And so, like, yeah. sweet, like, this thing on the, my wall is a security. Like, yay, like, everything's a security. The SEC does not want to have jurisdiction and regulate like a flaming sword of guy right, right, yeah, right. Uh -huh. Like, I, I, that's what you're saying. Is mm -hmm. they're biting off way too much, right? Like much more than they can chew, and it's actually going to completely, I guess, uh, water water down the water definition down of an S of, a, of a security. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So if everything's a security, nothing is, guys. Mm. 
let's take your next the this next tweet, David. This is a I think a meme tweet that some people <laughs> took seriously from a Bankless HQ Twitter. What is this? Wait, is the the headline isn't a meme? That that's a real headline, right? No, this is a meme, dude. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got. I just ate the onion there. In, in that case, love it. <laughs> got him. Got him. All right. Well, okay. So the, the headline is that, that's that makes more sense as to actually who's actually the picture uh, depicting uh, Lindsey Graham. I believe is who that is. And then the uh, yeah. the bottom headline is Senate bans NFTs. Quote: The trend is bankrupting our youth. Which I guess is a <laughs> wink, wink to the fact that like when you buy one NFT, the next thing that happens is you buy a second one, and then then. Yeah. Right after that, you buy a third one. Um, that's funny because uh, I'm pretty sure the guy that tweeted this, Michael Wong, he's working on a uh, crypto satire website, very much like The Onion. And we talked about how like our KPIs is like how many people can we get to... Do you know the term eat the onion? Uh, okay, no, tell me. It's What's like when, when somebody like reads an Onion article and then they take it seriously and they start blowing yeah. it up on Twitter. It's like, so oh yeah. you just ate the I, onion I just ate, I just ate the Onion, yeah. And so like the the a, a secret Skunkworks project out of the Bankless DAO is there's going to be a, a crypto satire website show, TV, uh, website, like news organization, very much like the Onion, that has meme-only headlines. And the KPI is like, all right, how many times can we get people to like actually believe <laughs> some of the BS headlines that we're going to write? That's awesome. And I guess I, I'm the first victims, son of a bitch. Yeah, well, here, here's, here's the bottom behind this. This is a meme, guys, but the fact that people think it's real is exactly why Congress is oh, failing us, right? Well, there's a take. This, this, this trend is uh, bankrupting our youth. Senate bans NFTs. That's why Congress is failing us, because people actually believe that's true. Yep. I have another confession for you, David. This, this is my meme. Yeah, is this yours? It's not Michael Wong's? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the satire thing and everything you said, and I was uh -huh. like, you know what? I'm going to throw a meme up. <laughs> I did. Sometimes I yeah, hey, some, sometimes uh, the Ryan Sean Adams memes, they'll get you. They're okay. They're, they'll, they'll, they're, they'll they're, you. they're great. You just burn, don't know, you just don't you know when know. they come. <laughs> yeah, you just it's a surprise every time. All right, um, let's see this. Golden age of building, David. Mm -hmm. We'll look back on the 2020s and remember it as the golden age of building. This is another tweet that you uh, put out there last week. What does this mean? Yeah. Um, uh, once upon a time in high school, I was really into the world of aviation. And in the world of aviation, there's the, the golden age of aviation, which was the 1930s. Uh, it's just, just when so much innovation happened. And a lot of the same technologies that we use today for flying and aviation was found in the 1930s. And I think that that is what we are seeing here with the 2020s. Uh, when, when this decade is over, uh, I think we're going to look back and be like, God, that was fun. Remember when there those was cool, times. Like, those were great we were times. Innovated. Yeah. So like, it's actually a call to action for everyone listening just to like, hey, take a moment, reflect and remember what it's like to be where we are today, because we only get to do this once. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a good time, regardless of all the uh, regulator FOMO uh, out there uh, or regulator FUD, excuse me. FUD, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, well FOMO, uh, but... FOMO, but with denial is FUD. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and so, yeah, like, hey, we're, we're in the golden age of building. There's cool stuff being built every single week. There's cool things happening. And I, I'm, I, I think we will look back with nostalgia on this era. I totally agree. I'm I'm super grateful to be here. Like I, you know, I'm grateful for all the listeners and mm -hmm. um, you know, that that kind of that sense of gratitude really um underlies I think the best projects. That they know they're early, they know they're doing something mm -hmm. super cool. And um, yeah, it's it's really important to pause and just reflect on that sometimes, David. Good thought, man. Absolutely. Thank L you. Let me ask you this. Last question of the week. What are you excited about? 
Dude, okay, so I was at uh, MCon last week and uh, main, or excuse me, MCon two weeks ago and uh, Mainnet in New York last week, met a ton of cool people. And like the number of times that I, I would go up to one of the booths at Mainnet, at Missouri Mainnet, and just like meet with some people, somebody would say like, hey, like the reason why I got this job at Company X or Project Y is because like you and Ryan kept on like just yelling at me to get a job in crypto. <laughs> 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 either on either on the newsletter or on the podcast, like you guys say, like hey, like you can do it, like you can you can uh, quit your legacy job and get a job in crypto, and so I did it. Uh, I think I ran into like I think seven people at Mainnet, and that's not even counting uh, Mcon wow. that, that said like hey, like I, I got a job in crypto because you because you guys at Bankless uh, really encouraged me and, and inspired me to do that, and so. I'm honored and humbled that people actually listen to us at all. <laughs> and the fact that you guys, uh, so many of you have gotten jobs in crypto uh, is also, thank, thank you for helping turn this into the golden age of building uh, because the people that quit their jobs to take the, take the step into crypto and take that risk are the people that are going to be pioneering so many more people in crypto in the future. So thank you for taking that leap. And if you are yet to take that leap, what are you waiting for? Like, don't miss out. It's a fun time. As we say, it's people all the way down. Nothing more exciting than attracting good people to this space. That's absolutely awesome to hear, David. Yeah, and before I ask you uh, what you're excited about, Ryan, hey, look, according to Twitter, it's International Podcast Day. Look at that. Hey. Really? Well, happy yeah. International Podcast Day. Do you know what episode number this is? Uh, this will be the weekly, I don't know what weekly roll-up number this is, but we are I mean, on... how many podcasts do you think we've done right now? Uh, the actual Monday podcast will be number 89. I think State of the Nation, we're up to like 60-ish. Weekly so roll-ups, rough. we're at like 40. Yeah, take 80, I guess, and like roughly like multiply that by four. Yeah. That's probably what we're, what we're doing, because we do like... Well, no, because the podcast started earlier than all the other ones. So I no, say like, uh, like, like three, maybe. So I, I, we're definitely over 200. Yeah, I think we're between two, two to 300. Well, there you go. Okay. One day we'll uh, count. While you, you tell me what, what you're excited about, I'm going to go to Libsyn and actually up? count. Yeah, I'm going to look that uh, up right do it, now. Do it. Okay. Hey, what's, what's your number? What's your number? Uh, my number is 364. Okay. All right. Now tell me what you're excited about, up. Ryan. All right. So while you're looking that up. Uh, what am I, what I'm excited about is also the uh, Bankless podcast right now because we 245. <laughs> oh God, I was way up. <laughs> 245 podcasts. That's still good. That's so great. That's still really yeah. good. Uh-huh. Now, how many hours is that? Multiply oh, that by like at least 1.5. Yeah, 1.5. Yeah. Multiply that by 1.5. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, we just secured a dream guest on Bankless, yeah, right? So like when we started the Bankless podcast, we had a list of like I don't know five ten names that were like, hey. We will we'll be doing it if we mm-hmm. get this name. And now mm-hmm. we got one of those names, another one off the list. I'm super excited about it. Not going to reveal it now. Coming later in October, we'll have a big reveal soon. But we're very excited. And I think this just reflects as like w- one of the reasons I got into crypto and started like in you know crypto media. I got into crypto first. I thought all I wanted to do was invest, right? Okay. But then I realized like like investment and kind of like narrative and learning about this stuff, we can learn about this stuff collectively, right? That's why we started Bankless. Uh, And that's why we started the Bankless podcast to go on the journey together because we can level up together. And one thing we realized very early, David, is if crypto is going to go mainstream, Mm. there has to be a big tent around it, right? It can't just be like this isolated cult of weirdos and geeks, right? It has to 
saturate itself into all areas of culture. And so that's why we're doing Bankless is to saturate crypto and DeFi and these values into culture. So that means like politicians, that means regulators, that means musicians, that means investors, anybody who's out there, we want to get them on the Bankless podcast. And here's the beautiful thing about it, David, is like if they adopt crypto protocols, okay, they adopt crypto values. Ooh. All right? Ooh. We tricked them. Wow. We got them. And that's how we change the world. Huh. As long as our values are embedded in the protocols, when they adopt crypto, mm. they don't know it, but they're adopting crypto values. When they buy that NFT, what's that NFT secured by? Mm. What's it paying out? Right? What's it propagating? Right. The economic security of Ethereum, which is a decentralized money system that embodies crypto values. So nice. this is a covert ops, man. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we're doing it by getting these big guests, by like listeners tuning in, by you hitting the subscribe on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed yet, you are helping to propagate crypto values and crypto culture to the world. And that's what I'm excited about today. That was a great answer. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to that guest of which we've named on this show before. So I will say that. Yes. Of which? Of which we've named. So you can go back in past episodes. All of them. Every single one. Start writing All them. All 200 and how many? 245, yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't take long. <laughs> Meme of the week. Meme of the week time. Let's do this. What are we looking at? All right, we are looking at that famous picture of two people getting divorced and uh, they're <laughs> separating out their beanie babies. This was in the 90s, I believe. But instead of Beanie Babies, they're NFTs. So we got these, this couple. One's pulling out a, a cool cat. The other one's about to grab a meat bit. There's a chromey squiggle in there. If you get divorced, make sure, make sure you know which, who's getting what, what NFTs. That Just, is a very, very important point, sir. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, guys. Uh, don't, hopefully, there's not... Don't get divorced. Yeah, hopefully, don't get divorced. But also, hopefully, yeah. our NFTs don't go by the way of Beanie Babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that what this is a prelude to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are those Beanie Babies worth now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Got Oopsies. Them. Hilarious. Too much All inflation. All right, guys. Uh, this has been the weekly roll-up. Of course, none of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky. DeFi is risky. Beanie Baby... I'm sorry. I mean... <laughs> NFTs are risky as well. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is a frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.